0: So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at uh, the Atlanta Falcons and asking if the coaching staff have lost the trust of the players. We're going to have a quick uh, retrospective on Larry Fitz's career as he's just become the youngest player, yes that's right, youngest player, to get a thousand catches. And then we're going to take a quick look at the Cleveland Browns. Sad face. Then we're going to have a look at some of the games from last week, some good, some bad and some in between. Take some questions from the listeners and then look forward to our picks for week 14. So how are we all getting on, lads? We've got, uh, I'm here, Connor, obviously. We've got Harry. Hi, I'm very hungover. And we've also, live in the flesh and not
1: over Skype, got Ronan Fitzpatrick. I believe I am what they call in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Showing both my cultural (laughs) (laughs) relatives. and outdated references at this point, probably. Mm. Mm.
0: So we had good fun last night. We were all out at the uh, the hypnotic brass band gig in Dublin. Uh, It was savage. It also meant that we then had to spend today over trying to catch up on all the games to make sure we had all the information. And once we get to the bad games, I hope you all appreciate the shit we do for you. Sometimes it was horrendous, but no gig was a class crack, wasn't it?
2: Ah, oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, the energy just, just amazing. Mm. Absolutely dying after though. Just, you know, you're having fun, but it's, it's so everyone's dancing. It's just so sweaty, and you, you dehydrate as well. So you just, oh yeah, very, very dying, good game, but... feeling very briny today. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word, <laughs> it's such a show though, absolutely. Amazing shot. Oh yeah, it was deadly, it was deadly. Uh,
0: so I suppose we'll kick off with the news, lads. So uh, we're going to kick off and have a quick look at Atlanta. So Atlanta, obviously they're in a bit of a tailspin right now. They went five, and sorry, six in one was it to start the season and now have lost five straight games in a row. It's, it's not been going too well for them. Everything seems to be going in the wrong direction. Uh, we saw players, and I think Harry, you're going to chat about this now. We saw a couple of players and stuff even coming out and going off on the, on the team and on the management and the media as well. Not too dissimilar from what we saw
2: in Miami a week ago. Yeah, it was a little bit roundabout. It wasn't quite as perhaps direct as Sue was, but reading between the lines that the criticism was clearly there, it was Julio Jones, who has pretty much been trying to carry this team's offense on his back for the last few weeks um, with very, very little help, Uh, just expressing frustration at the play calling and almost suggesting that the team wasn't reacting during games and wasn't taking the opportunities that were presented to it in the types of plays they were calling. And even implicitly in what he was saying, perhaps to the extent the type of throws Matt Ryan was making, there is certainly perhaps an element that he himself is feeling a bit left out of the game, even though he is their only good player. It also means he's attracting a lot of coverage. So they're looking towards other options more so uh, in the last few weeks. But he's also been the only one with production when he is targeted. Mm. So you can sort of understand that frustration. I think it's a sign that like you said, they're in a tailspin. And like we mentioned last week, you get the feeling that Atlanta know that they are in a tailspin and are just looking around for answers and aren't getting, the players aren't getting them from the coaching staff. It is easy in this circumstance to blame, you know, one group of people, is it the coaches, is it the players, Yeah, whoever. But when the players look for that leadership and look for, like, people they can trust and it's not coming, that's that's quite important. And you can see, there you know, is to an extent, a lack of talent. But you look at what's happened with Devonta Freeman coming back, and since... Devonta Freeman came back, and a little bit before he went down, you could see his production was dropping off because teams were zeroing in on what Atlanta were doing with the play-action stuff and being able to make him less effective. And the coaching staff, and this is again goes to what Julio Jones was saying, didn't change the plan and didn't find a new way to make it work and just kept persisting. And that's a problem when the players can't trust the coach to come up with something that will let them be effective. No, of course. But like another element of this is always going to be the fact that when they say, look... We don't we don't see leadership. Because so I agree with
0: you, like, you can point at the players or you can point at the management or you can point at the combination of them. But a lot of the times for teams to galvanise, they need the senior players to step up and take leadership roles and direct the young ones, show them how to power through bad scenarios. And I would have thought, especially with what he's being paid, Julio Jones should in fact be one of these people who should be out and setting an example to the young players and saying, look... Keep your heads up. This is what football's all about. Like, surely it actually sends a worse message and would probably cause more problems for them down the line uh, if he's out there and he's criticizing everyone around him and not kind of trying to build that internal camaraderie.
1: True, but like, wide receivers are traditionally seen to be much more individualist than the average. You don't need to be a good team player to be a good wide receiver necessarily. The only problem is is that when you have an offense which is lacking leadership, especially Matt Ryan just doesn't seem to have that aura of leadership, that kind of sense that he can take the team when things get tough. The blandest man in the NFL. Like like Matt Ryan, like with a season like with the seasons like this racking up is starting to go that is probably on the precipice of moving from this like near elite or like good quarterback, maybe people's opinion about him may slip into the more uh, bad Tony Romo times, perhaps even into the Jay Cutler zone. Like, a little bit harsh at this point, but, like, considering the talent that he had, like, they've built a lot of things around Matt Ryan and he hasn't really shown the development that you would expect. Like the other thing is like it's it's tougher psychologically to start so well to think that like yeah we have the momentum we think we're going really well and then suddenly there's just a stop and there's no real reason there's no real difference that they made they've kept doing the same things and to a certain extent as Harry says that means that people figure it out but to the players just doing what they're doing executing or feeling that they're executing as they are they need to do it and like that and like that like sudden stop also has an effect on the fans maybe if they piped in some extra atmosphere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might help, or just pipe in some better play calls or newer yeah. play calls that oh, might help yeah. with them. But yeah, it's kind of, it's always tough to arrest a slide like this. And it's, you know, it kind of shows the folly of type of trying to see what's going to happen in, in, to a team halfway through
2: the season. Yeah, I think it's I think it's actually interesting what you say about, about leadership and looking for the players. This is quite, particularly on defense, this is quite a young team. Uh, and there isn't a huge amount of experience there. And yeah, Julio is sort of the talismanic guy. But it's interesting when you look at it, the, the most experienced guy on that team is Roddy White. And his involvement has been minimized to a huge amount this season. And I think if you're looking for guys to, to be leaders, that's the kind of guy you want. But it's very difficult for a guy like that to play a leadership role when they have almost no role within the team. It's also very hard to you know handhold a young player when
0: your
1: hands are made of stone. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, Roddy White's always been seen more as an aloof player, not really that, kind yeah. of, not that kind of leader. Like good, like when things are going good, fine, but like not mm-hmm. someone to pull you out of a tails midnight. Like this, like when they came into the season, people were expecting a rebuilding project, and that's just basically what's manifested. It's just unfortunately due to their hot start, the negative effect of having these losses means it's just hitting them much harder. Yeah, like it's it's almost tougher to have that like run of really good form. And then have this happen versus like winning alternate games yeah. Over the course of and a season. I, and
0: I do think, especially when he's in to and saying, look, there's not really overall ethos. Maybe the play callings are incorrect and stuff like that. There is an element of whenever things go bad, you need that core of players. But you also need to have an identity that you go to and say, look, this is who we are. It will work. Trust in the system. And I, actually, I, I honestly don't know what the identity of this Atlanta Falcons team is, what exactly they're trying to play. Because sometimes it's... Let's go for lots of deep passing. Sometimes it's for, let's go for a bit of, uh, for a bit of hard running. But like coming into the season, their whole ethos is we're going to be really hard nosed defense and tough to play. I think, yeah, the big picture of what the coaching staff and the management are trying to get to is not translating immediately. And I think, yeah, what you're saying about with a good start, they think, this is cementing in whatever we're meant to be is correct, and now they're kind of stuck a little bit in in transition, not sure where they are. And I think that's something that have to happen. But I just I, I'm not sure if I think the greatest way to deal with this would be to go out and start to even even if it is subtle, subtly blast the
2: coaches and the management. That's true, but I, I do think the frustration comes from somewhere. You know, it is quite late in the season this is happening, so you you you, you look at this and this is speculating, but you do wonder they've probably done like internally I'm sure those players have talked to each other I'm sure they've done some stuff and I think this is kind of a situation where when a player does this it indicates that there's been just a breakdown between the management and the players somewhere along the line yeah it's
1: just like coaches named Dan always battered to (laughs) the (laughs) sea
0: And maybe they should just do like the Chargers get themselves back on track by firing their special teams coordinator. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> NFL.com did like two early like uh, puff pieces on coach coaches early season. Dan Campbell and Dan Quinn. Um, prediction perhaps not the, uh, the most important thing. there. I remember
2: they said Toby Gerhardt was going to be the making the leap guy. <laughs> like yeah. a great track record.
1: So, yeah, so, so we'll go from
0: one good receiver in a terrible situation to a good receiver in a great situation. Larry Fitzgerald, well liked individual, has become the youngest player at 32 to have a thousand catches. He also at the same time went over a thousand yards for this season uh, in the same game. Uh, so I thought we'd just have a quick chat about uh, Larry Fitz, kind of say, look, this is a very impressive achievement. But when we were, when we were looking into this, we started to look into the background of his career and be like, like he's obviously had a decent run now with Palmer, and there was that bit of time with Kurt Warner that was good. But who the fuck else has been throwing to him in this time? Because, yeah, like, we can't really think of it, So we went in and looked at it, and it became a horror show beyond belief. Uh, like, we'll keep off with you, Eric, Which of this fantastic list of people would you most like to have never seen play quarterback before?
2: <laughs> Do I only have to pick one? Uh, well, you've, oh. got, you've got lots of options. You've got... yeah. Kevin Cobb or Ryan Lindley would probably be the uh, the two who would jump jump to <laughs> mind. Given that, uh, yeah, they'd be the two I'd probably be the most familiar with. From there, uh, I'd be i be Runs actually, under center. One one of these I
0: have, I actually don't think I've ever seen Max Hall play. Yeah, he probably played like a couple
2: of games. I think. Yeah, I think so, he only played more too.
0: So, like, just 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 for an idea, in his career, uh Harry Fitzgerald, he's he's had some great achievements. He's done so being thrown to by Josh McCown, Sean King, John Navare, Matt Leinart. Kurt Warder, Derek Anderson, John Skelton, Max Hall, Kevin Kolb, Ryan Lindley, Brian Hoyer, Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton.
1: Yeah, it's pretty pretty bad. Apparently the Arizona Cardinals have had a pretty depressing history.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It, it, it is a tribute, though. I think like it's re- truly remarkable to see what Fitty's done, given that, yes, he played with, okay, Kurt Warner, who was a fantastic quarterback, and mm. now Carson Palmer, who's having an absolute career rejuvenation. But, yeah, you look at the rest of them, and that is, oh, that's what we're, we're going to to a slightly sadder list of QBs in a few minutes, but this is one of the saddest <laughs> lists of QBs you can see. They were just <clears throat> huge stretches of time, and there was just a total dearth of talent under center. And to not only continue to, to play well, but to continue to play at an extremely high level, as Fitzgerald did. And yeah, there was a slight recent, uh, recent drop off uh, sort of before Carson, Carson Palmer got settled in and when Carson Palmer got hurt. But it is just a testament to the guy's ability and the guy's um, just talent that re- re- no matter how bad the situation was, no matter how many years that he had terrible quarterbacks thrown him and his team was just not good. It's just producing. Just kept producing. And he's aver- over that period, it's averaged, I think, 91 catches a season.
0: Yeah. Which is insane. Oh, it's nuts. It's nuts
2: altogether. But yourself,
1: do you like Larry Fitz? Like he's always been a great player, and but you know hasn't had too much effect on the Seahawks' efficacy <laughs> over the years. Like one good player does not make a good team, and I think uh, Larry would realize that most of all. Like it's just great. Like it's like it's it's personally great because unlike when Peyton Manning uh, got his records recently at the most passing yards, it, it didn't occur in a very depressing fashion. Like it's good to see that Larry Pitts is like racking up these achievements. Mm. During a renaissance During an Indian summer uh, For his career And he's only 32 Like there is And he plays And he he plays well In the slot So you can can definitely see Plenty of production Going forward for Larry Fitz Especially if they can get A couple more years Out of someone like Carson Palmer Or even Drew Stanton Isn't that bad So at least The Cardinals As long as Arians is there Should be You know Relevant In the NFL so hopefully this is only the beginning of him racking up any even more achievements and yeah. solidifying his Hall of Fame yeah, and, uh, credentials.
0: In talking about it afterwards, he came out and said, look, it's great to get these nice numbers, my 1,000 yards on the season, my 1,000th catch of all time. But he said he was very much more interested in a much smaller number of getting a Super Bowl, uh, which, to be honest, this is a team that's on an exceptional run of form at the moment, and I would not like to be the ones who'd have to play them. This is possibly... His best chance uh, he's had in a, a very, very long time to try and get in there. Apart from obviously the Kurt Warner times, but like yeah. this is this is this is his strongest chance I'd say. And this roster, top to bottom, is very strong. So Larry Fitz, congrats on your catches and best of luck in your drive towards a sexy bling ring. And then finally, we're going to look at this is this is in, in memory of Dave, our, <laughs> our, our, our dearly departed podcast co-host, who is uh, unfortunately mostly down in Waterford, whom we're now recording and they don't have telephones, let alone internet down there. <laughs> we're going to do a, a quick look, almost a eulogy for the Cleveland Browns, uh, the saddest team in football who now have a slight bright spark because Johnny Football's playing this weekend and as long as he sticks to a laundry list of requirements, we'll start the last four games this season.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> He's always followed the rules. I think mm. that's what I like most about him. <laughs> 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 Johnny Football tree. Mm. The legend continues. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so we thought we'd just have a quick look at uh, the sadness of this Cleveland Browns <laughs> uh, this season and also have a little look back. because We basically we had a conversation... Um, when we were having a couple of beers the other night and we were trying to figure out who's been the best brand quarterback since they uh since nineteen ninety nine, is it? Whenever they uh when they got themselves back together, when they got the band back together. And surprisingly enough, I guessed it when I was making a joke. Uh but yeah, so I think we'll start with a bit of the history of the Cleveland quarterback. Are do you trying to kick us off on this as you did the uh, you did the bit of research on it?
2: Yeah, so obviously this is in, in memory of Cleveland uh, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs having been factually yes. eliminated several weeks ago. I forgot to mention um, that because I just presumed everyone knew yeah, they just are gone. I wanted to give a little, little, little <laughs> bit of background. So yeah, we were looking like, since, uh, since, since the team reconstituted after it was stolen, what's the situation been? Who's been their most successful quarterback? And we had a few ideas and a few names thrown out there and it was like, oh no, it can't be that guy, it can't be that guy, it can't be that guy. So we looked through the whole list and it's been an extremely uh, sad list. They've had about uh, about 20 or so quarterbacks since then and none of them have been very good. Uh, interesting couple of interesting facts. Uh, every single quarterback who's only started one game for Cleveland has lost that game. Uh, there's only one quarterback with a winning record, which comes to second, which is Connor jokingly said, oh, it's got to be Brian Hoyer. And yep. we looked it up, and this is true. Brian Hoyer is the only Cleveland quarterback with a winning percentage since 1999. Mm-hmm. He won 0.65 of the games. I think won 10 out of 16 as a starter. The next best, then, is Derek Anderson, whose record was 0.471, mm-hmm. and following that, Tim Couch at 0.373, and after that, it, it honestly only gets sadder. Like, it's just remarkable that Cleveland have whiffed so many times. I mean, of course, the infamous example being on Wynn, apart from having, he's called win, Wynn. You've got to be a bit cautious there, who was drafted before Tom Brady like, in, that, in that. Can't one. even spell Wynn right. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just it's just remarkable that a team can consistently fail to find a quarterback for this long. Because even looking through the Arizona list, you know you've got your Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer. There's one or two names in there, mm. and that's over. Seven period. <laughs> <laughs> that is certainly a name that is on the list. But you know that's over a shorter time period, and it's just what what has happened that Cleveland have just never managed to get anyone. Mm. I was looking at some of these, like some some
0: some of these are just fantastic. Ty Detmer. I've never heard him before. Spurgon win, obviously, as, as, as was mentioned. There's, like, Seneca Wallace is here... Thad Lewis, Jason Campbell, Bruce Gadkowski. Oh my God! It's 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 a murderer's row of people who should have never played the position. But uh, both the McCann brothers, yeah, both the McCanns,
2: yeah. and of course the current Kansas City chief offensive coordinator, yes, Doug Peterson, who is
0: now in a much better place, <laughs> a much better he place. He learned a lot about <laughs> it,
2: it, 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 it as, as
0: a as, as a quarterback. He had zero point one two five, which uh, which I presume means he won one of eight games. <laughs>
2: yeah, I <laughs>
0: Or maybe he won two out of a 16-game season or something. But yeah, so now he's the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, which is worrying. But, you know, I'll I'll roll with it. It seems to be working for now. I suppose the question has to be asked, with how badly this season is going, they're clearly heavily in the hunt for the first overall pick. Uh, We did briefly discuss, like, potential picks for people beforehand. But when you look at this Browns team, there's no way they can't now look at this and say, look, we have to really just be... So she's starting from scratch here again. And obviously they don't want to be doing that as often as they do. It's in dire need. This four-game stretch, if they play Johnny Manziel for, they they'll at least have a better idea of what they've got there and whether or not they can even use him as a serviceable quarterback for a year or so while they try and pick up other pieces. Where would you start to try and rebuild this team? Where would you be targeting in the draft? And where would you be targeting in free agency to try and get this team uh, kind of back on track, Ronan?
1: Well, I think like the thing Cleveland needs to do, which it just refu- has refused to do, it's true of a lot of expansion teams like Cleveland, kind of technically, kind of we'll say here, have struggled to get that initial like, step in. Basically, it's just very difficult to start from scratch. In the draft, best player available, because that's something they consistently have not done. They have consistently reached for players who weren't worth it. Brandon Whedon, another... Another excellent example with eight point two five or you to, to, to be fair one in four success on, on, on the Brandon Whedon pick right if you're gonna take a rookie what you want to do is you want to get an experienced veteran <laughs> <laughs> in the draft best player available start to like that's how teams have turned around that's how like the Seahawks for example mm-hmm. turned around that's how the, like that's how the best teams turn things around they start stocking talent through the draft and they develop talent to the draft and then free agency acts. As a way to bolster that talent, mm. and you know, and fill in the fill in the places. So, if I was them personally, like they, if I remember correctly, they have a lot of cap space, but they probably just shouldn't throw that away. They should use that to try and basically do a numbers approach, get a lot of solid players with some upside, and see what you can build from there. And if you end up having to start uh, Josh McCown again, that's not necessarily a bad thing because he like he hasn't been great, but he has been consistent you Get Brian Hoyer back, maybe <laughs> that might be good. Yeah, and like,
0: don't take any advice from homeless men, <laughs> oh God. but yeah, like I, I, I agree quite a lot with what you're saying because I think I think a problem that a lot of these teams have is they have an idea in their head of what kind of team they are. We want to be a, a run team, we want to be a pass team. That means we need to get like, oh, we want to be a hard nosed defense, we need to get a strong inside linebacker and some good linemen, or whatever. The problem with that is whenever you're in a scenario like the Browns. If you go in with a preconceived notion of what you want to be, then you're going to pick based around that rather than, like you say, best player available. And then you essentially try and force your way into a certain way of playing. If you want to restart this team properly and kind of build it from the ground up, you start with no preconceptions about how your team is going to be. You find talented individuals and then figure out what scheme fits that. What players fit that as supporting roles from free agency? And even, let's be honest at this point, what
2: coaches they could bring in that would be a better fit for that kind of stuff? Well, they're going to be looking for a new head coach next year. Petten, I do sort of say, Mike Petten's in trouble. I had a meeting with management that he was downplaying, but basically Jimmy Halston is on his ass about why this is going wrong. And this is, again, this has actually been a problem in Cleveland, is uh, coaching uh, instability. And yes, okay, Petten had the one good season, now is one bad season. But considering it's Cleveland and their general trend has been bad, you've got to give somebody more time particularly when the teams so all over the place and it's a bit tough for Halson to blame it entirely on Petten given Halson's own involvement in their draft process a lot of the time mm. but uh, yeah they could be once again starting completely from scratch they could well have a new coach next season yeah like, I think what they need to do uh, so I watched, I
0: watched uh, a documentary about this the other day is that uh, they need to hire that guy from Waterworld I believe his name is Kevin Costner <laughs> to be the GM <laughs> for the Browns
2: yeah <laughs> Can't be worse than Ray Farmer, like. Right?
0: <laughs> and then somehow trade away all of your future picks to pick a linebacker, the first overall pick that you could have gotten,
1: in the sixteenth pick, because yeah. you know that's winning in Browns terms. Just don't <laughs> don't do a Dolphins on it, and just kind of do everything half-assed, you know, like oh we'll keep Bobbin on, but then fire him, you know, we'll keep Jeff Ireland around, but not really. Like if if they're gonna clear house, they need to clear house properly. Otherwise, they need to stick to the stick to this team. And, like, right now, if the ownership does not trust them, they should just... It's terrible right now that teams do that, but until you feel comfortable with that, the ownership basically should do this properly and not do the half-ass thing of firing the coach and then keeping the GM. Because, ultimately, you need a good relationship between those people. Like, if you have a, if you have two people that you don't trust you, and you then get a coach who is either their man and then you don't trust them in the first place, that creates problems in itself when that GM ends up getting fired or is likely to get fired. Or if there's some kind of, like, they're fighting over power. Like, and you end up with something like the Eagles situation.
0: Yeah, like, it's interesting when you look back on it, because we were discussing coming up to the trade deadline, they were looking to shift players to try and pick up picks and stuff. And, like, obviously, it's never a good idea to go and get rid of your only good players on your team. But, like, you can see even there the mindset is is, is in the organisation of, look, we need to start afresh. We need to start building again. We need to have lots of picks. Now, I'm not 100% sure that that's the best way to pick up picks. But, like, at least there seems to be the knowledge internally there that, look, it's not working and going to need to do something. It's just I hope, like we said, that they actually go and do it from scratch they don't just do a half-arsed oh it's grand Johnny Football will be here we'll pick up a new quarterback we'll be the same team that successful Cleveland Browns team that we all know and love so well it's sad for Cleveland but there is there is a bit of hope there now that at least at least they're not going to be sat there with you know six win season going sure look it's great we'll just stay the course that's the only positive I can
1: really take out of it for them what about yourselves anything positive you can take out of it for them there's always hope, there's always change. Like, as a Seahawks fan, when Pete Carroll came in, they basically overturned the entire roster in a couple of seasons. Like, the NFL changes quickly, and even though history says that certain teams have a worse record, like seem destined to fail. I think with the right, with the right people, any, any franchise has a chance.
2: My one positive for Cleveland at the moment, and this is something they don't seem to realise themselves, and this is obviously the trade thing, they seem to be willing to blow up. They do have a reasonably good core O-line which is one of the most important things you can try to build a team around. The problem is that they're trying to trade all their own life at the moment, <laughs> which is not inspiring. But it's about, okay, okay, we've got a a thing in place. Let's focus on everything else. There is potential, but there's just so many holes they need to fill right now.
0: Well, Cleveland's best of luck with it, I suppose. If, if there's any small plus, it's that LeBron James is retiring, so you could maybe pick him up as a tight end. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know he used to play basketball? <laughs> No, nah, no one does that in college at all. I'm sure someone in the NFL would have mentioned it. But yeah, so uh, best of luck, Cleveland. And I suppose we're going to swing on to have a look at some of the games from this week. So first game we're going to have a look at today is the Thursday Night Football Green Bay at Detroit that finished in a very exciting final play. Massive Hail Mary throw. Uh, everyone's probably seen the videos of it at this point. Quite impressive stuff. That was caused by a very questionable face mask call uh, on the final play of the game. 27-23. An interesting game, one that was, I would say, for the most part dominated by Detroit, but just at the back end, Green Bay started to get it back together. Green Bay again looked lackluster on offense, and their defense didn't really fire up toward, until the very end. Always, as always, important to win those games, especially games against divisional rivals and stuff. Detroit Lions looked a fair bit stronger than they did beforehand. Oh, turn to yourself, Harry, because you you picked the Lions for this game, and you were saying to me you still feel happy about that pick, and I think I understand what you mean.
2: Yeah, like I, I felt the Lions pretty much outplayed the Packers for three. Well, most of that game, to be honest, with you. like they did a great job of. Again, they did the same thing they did in the first game. They did a great job pressuring Rogers of targeting the O line. They basically shut down. Uh, any semblance of a run game that Green Bay were trying to get going now. Admittedly, obviously, Eddie Lacy stayed up past his bedtime and was grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, when he did get a few carries, he looked bad. Yeah, so Green Bay struggled to get that going, and it was it was um, Detroit could, were able to control sort of the rhythm of that game for the most part, both on defense and on offense. They weren't massively ambitious at all the time. you saw sort of a lot of dump off swing passes and screens being run. Now, ultimately, that came back to bite them because when the game started tightening up a bit, they didn't really deviate from that model too much, and they yeah. weren't actually too ambitious in where they were going for. But it was a good way to, to just sort of control the game and not take too many risks and not put Matt Stafford in, in a position where he might do something stupid. So it went Twenty nothing up, I think, um, halfway through the third quarter, and then the game pretty much swung on a uh, when Matt Stafford got uh, strip sacked, and at that point, I don't know, something just clicked in Green Bay's defense in particular started stepping up and making life extremely difficult for the Lions and weren't able, like basically, shut down that sort of again short passing uh, rhythm stuff they were doing. But at the same time, even with that said, they were extremely unlucky to lose the game at the end. They'd still done enough to put themselves in a decent position. Okay. Um, they were lucky Green Bay did miss a field goal. Then on the final play, Detroit just turned into Detroit. So Green Bay had the first play. Everyone, uh, everyone has seen this, like with the, la- where they went with the lateral play, got uh, stopped on a pretty questionable face mask, but okay, that happened. So Green Bay get moved forward and have another chance. Detroit again set up expecting the lateral play. They put guys on the sidelines. And then when it becomes apparent that. It's not a play. It's not a lateral, not a lateral play. play, which becomes apparent very, very quickly. Rogers gets enough times only three man rush and humps it into the end zone, and that's fine. You expect that to sort of just go up into a sea of people. And what we saw was Richard Rogers, who was there to box out, who was there to block guys off in front. There was nobody in front. The closest three players to that ball were Green Bay players. So all the Detroit guys were sitting way too deep in the end zone for it, and it was just really, really frustrating to see. And it's very much what we've seen from Detroit a lot over the last few years of doing a thing that works. Then making a couple of mistakes, not really knowing how to come back from them, and then just making one absolutely catastrophic error. And the weird thing is, looking at it, it's like if Detroit can stop making those catastrophic errors, they could be a much better team than they are. But they just have that weird propensity for it. This team has the ability, has a lot of talent. Okay, someone's not playing that. This game plays really smart. And then it just, there's just something in the water there. And it's just a shame because. The leakage from, from the Fork factory, maybe? <laughs> might well be. Yeah. <laughs> Might well be something drifting upriver from Cleveland, but... Oh, God. Lead. Mostly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah. genuinely, like, a, a really well-played game from them until it came down to the crunch, and then just, they they, they dropped the ball. Yeah, no, massively so. Um, it is, it has been a spot, though, I find it quite
0: interesting to see the Detroit Lions have been much more successful on offense the last couple of weeks since they had their changing in coaching. So, because obviously, initially, we kind of put it down to, uh, it's just it's just a kind of dead cat bounce. It's kind of a quick turnaround kind of thing. But they seem to now be being able to get... Although he's not fantastic, getting Amir Abdullah involved in the run game a lot more, getting Megatron involved in the passing game a lot more, is this a scenario where we've seen enough improvement from the Detroit team fits that uh, we might actually get to see Jim Bob Cooter stay on uh, as their coach moving forward?
1: I would assume so. Like at this point, when you see when you see definitive improvement and you see talent being used in an appropriate manner, I think you have to kind of stick with that. Like the Lions, like the Browns, are a team which historically have not been the most stable of teams. So I think when you have something which is starting to work, you want to continue that momentum and see what you have. So I imagine that we'll be seeing this same coaching lineup uh, next season. Like, Don't forget, it's not just this game. Remember that in the Seahawks game, they came within a hair's breadth, like literally of Calvin Johnson scoring a touchdown, which would have secured that game probably for them. Like two more wins, and we're talking about a team which is right in the wildcard hunt. And like, this is a, it's a shame because they look like a team which could have got frisky and had a chance at that, but unfortunately this game has kind of sealed them in that middle pack, middle of the pack. But the thing is that they have talent on that team. So this isn't a team which needs to push for a pick because they have talent already there that they can build around. They have, they have a quarterback who is enigmatic in some quarters, you might say a little bit. Inconsistent, but like he's he shown some progress, which he has done in the past, to be fair. But with this personnel, with this coaching staff, you have a chance to build something worthwhile. Having that stability and you know, basically not uh, screwing with that is probably the best way. Like, I, I hope, like Jim Bob Cooter, great name, uh, maybe a great OC, but uh, let's let, let's see if the Lions actually give him a chance,
0: yeah. So, like. Best of luck to them. They were close enough in this game. Uh, could have Could have pushed it. It was very unfortunate the way it went. They're going to have a lot more cap space because they won't be paying for Sue next year, uh, which is just, just ridiculous the amount they're paying him to not play for them this year. Um, but yeah... Good win for
1: Green Bay, lucky win for Green Bay, and an important win for Green Bay. Also, pro tip, when you're lateraling, even though it worked out in this case, you don't lateral to the last person. The person who's furthest back on the pitch, (laughs) that kind of screws you over a little
0: bit. But yeah, so we'll move on now to Jacksonville to Tennessee. So who would have thunk it? We've got Jacksonville to Tennessee in the good game section. This was a fucking delight to watch. Uh, 39-42, to high scoring, very exciting. Two teams that both have kind of underdog mantras behind them and just both of them playing exceptionally well. It was a bit of a slow start in the game, uh, I'll be honest. But once points started getting scored, just points after points after points. Excellent play out of Alan Robinson for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tennessee Titans looked great. Dorial Green Beckham coming into his own for the first time. I think 127 yards or so on a touchdown. This was not one we were expecting to enjoy watching, but we really, really did. So I'll kick off with Fitz on this one. Obviously, it's a big win for Tennessee. Good to see they can win whenever other teams are scoring this amount on them because that's always something you want to see out of younger quarterbacks as well. Like, what were your takeaways for them? Is this, is this something we can expect of them
1: most of the time or is this... Yeah, like the Jacksonville defense, to me, looks to be regressing quite badly over the second half of the season. So there is that element to it. Because let's be honest, the Tennessee Titans offense has not been explosive in, in a lot of games. It seems to have... A, it's had a few games where it's been explosive and that's given hope, and then subsequently it's kind of become a bit bogged down. But like when you look at the talent level of the Tennessee offense, that's to be expected. What's very promising, though, is that you're seeing Dorial Green Beckham start coming come in. You're seeing Mariota continue to develop. It kind of reminds me of where Jacksonville was last season. They have these young pieces, and they're starting to round into shape, and you could see something very exciting building here over the next few seasons. They probably need to get a new running back. Uh, Antonio Andrews, bless his heart, is, you know, solid... And probably is a good like or B2, or B3, but it should not be your starting running back. And maybe David Cobb will be that player. Uh, we haven't really seen enough of him to know. But like, we're seeing a young core really starting to come together. And against a mediocre defense, they managed to light it up. This game was all about kind of poor technique in defense, it was about chunk plays like Mariota's 88 yard scamper. To the touch, to, for a touchdown. An amazing play, but with amazingly bad tackling as well. It's just like, this was all about chunk plays, like big plays happening all over the place. But I think Tennessee have reason to be optimistic. But no, I get, I get entirely what you're saying there, Fitz. Like it
0: was, it was very much... There was a lot of poor technique. And like it was a lot of failings on both of their defenses. But uh there were there were some amazing plays. Like I said, some of the catches that Alan Robinson made was were fantastic. One or two of the Doriel Green Beckham ones were very good. There's also that horrendous pick that he caused where he's thrown wide open and he just flapped the ball directly into the hands of one of the safeties. Harry, I suppose from your perspective, because uh, I think you were, you were very enthused by this game, Like, what do you think the takeaways for, for, for Jacksonville are uh, from this? Like, It was a close loss. I
2: think it's actually quite similar to what you guys have said about Tennessee. Um, it's similar to seeing a young, sometimes quite explosive offense that is very capable of clicking and very capable of winning games and winning games well. winning. And a defense that is not good enough, which is weird because, you know, one of the things with, with Gus Bradley being mm. there the whole time has always been this team is going to be built around his defense. We've been waiting years for that to happen. And it, it just, Alan Robinson, as you said, had an absolutely remarkable game. Some of the catches he made were incredible. It finished with, I think, three touchdowns and over 150 yards. And we also saw a lot of the other younger receivers, guys like Marquise Lee and Rashad Green get involved in the absence of Alan Hearns, which is also very, very encouraging. Uh, Brian Walters as well. So there's a lot of talent on that offense and a lot of weapons and a lot of reasons to be, to be enthusiastic and positive um, about where the Jags' young team is going. But at the same time, on the defense, the, the problems are a concern. The other concern for the Jags is Blake Bortles. And this is a weird one because Bortles is, in some ways, a very, very good player. And this is something I, I, I've said a couple of times before, and I know you guys have as well. He does have problems with his decision making. The problem is is that we're not necessarily seeing him make better decisions as games go on. Like, he does force a lot of throws. He does tuck and run uh, when he shouldn't a lot of the time. He does, doesn't does go through his reads properly. And these are things that can be coached out of a young quarterback. And he is young, so there is time to do it. But even during this season, we haven't seen a huge amount of improvement in that regard. I know. I would is... I would
0: disagree. I think we've seen improvement. He now knows where the line of scrimmage is and stops <laughs> throwing <laughs> as
2: he passes. Okay, he, he, he <laughs> didn't know where the line of scrimmage was this week. That's the worry for Jacksonville um, in terms of their their offense but that's something that, and that's something i think they need to work on that's you are going to need to get portals to focus on during the off season this year because he has great physical attributes and he can throw an accurate ball but he often decides to throw the ball to the wrong place which is a problem it's great to see the chemistry he's developing with robinson in particular yeah which is very very positive because of the you know the, the, and lots of wide receivers are good wide receivers the best ones are guys like for example i think antonio brown would be a great example this julian edelman would be another one like obviously not on the same level as Brown. Guys who just have a really good understanding with the quarterback about where they're going to throw, where the route is going to go, where the ball is going to end up. And I think you can see the beginnings of that with Robinson and Bortles. And if they get us a connection, they're going to want to nurture and keep. But one other thing, of all the ways to Jags up a game, like that snap at the end, violent, feet over the quarterback's head and ends up being recovered for, for a Tennessee touchdown that turns out to be crucial. Nothing, well, you can't really account for those, but it was, it was one of the most Jacksonville things that they,
0: they did in this game. Yeah, no, it was, it was rough. But like we said, very exciting game. Very good to watch, even if it's just the highlight reel. And uh, like I said, a lot of positives he taken for two. Essentially, I'd still call them young teams kind of in transition. If I was them, I'd be quite happy with the
2: performance. So I did you see the Titans fan who
0: was dressed as a pineapple? Oh, you showed me a picture of it, yeah, the he pineapple was, guy. Yeah, I
2: caught him a few times when we were watching the, the highlight, the, sorry, the condensed version. I don't know what's going on there, but I, I appreciate somebody trying like, to a football game dressed <laughs> as a pineapple. If, like.
0: if anyone out there was watching the game and has any idea what the story of the pineapple person was, hit us up on Twitter, at, at AFQ Podcast, or on Facebook. It's just strange, it's dressed as a giant Jacksonville pineapple. Tennessee pineapple. Ten- Ten- sorry, Tennessee, Tennessee pineapple.
1: pineapple. It's
0: even like, weirder. Yeah, it just makes no sense. Um...
1: well, I think of Tennessee. That's what I think of.
0: Fine pineapple country. Um, so, so I'll move this over to the neutral zone. So kind of game that was good and bad uh, that we thought was interesting enough to have a chat about. So this week we're going to look at uh, Kansas City at Oakland. This was a very tight game up until the end, up until the fourth quarter. Uh, Casey won the game 34-20, to 20, uh, putting them quite solidly now in a seat for one of the wildcard spots. I thought there was positives to be taken from this in terms of there were injuries uh, on the team, yet they still managed to stand up a defensively, there was decent performances from the two uh, the two replacement running backs, Ware and Cerk Hendrick. But there was also, I think, a bit of a problem with the constant fluctuation between the two of them and neither of them being able to get into a proper flow of it. The Oakland Raiders' defensive front looked savage in this game. They were in, they were hitting them. They got four sacks, I believe, on uh, on Alex Smith. But in the fourth quarter, Derek Carr decided that he really likes the Chiefs and decided to throw three interceptions. Uh, which then resulted in the in the fourteen point win for the for the KC Chiefs. So I suppose I will kick off with you, Harry, on this one, uh, What what did you take away from this game?
2: Yeah, it was um, it was an interesting game, and it was a very strange ending because uh, the Raiders essentially handed the game to the Chiefs with uh, yeah the three interceptions all of which resulted in scores, either one being a pick six and the other two being turned into into touchdowns by Kansas City. There were certainly positives to take from it for both teams. Both defensive fronts, I actually think, looked, looked very good. Not just uh, not just ones in Kansas City's mm-hmm. also looked very good. Now, that did make the game at times, particularly in the first half, quite attritional and grinding. But I think that was really genuine a show of like, just solid defensive work rather yeah. than sputtering offences. Uh, Kansas City also did a good job, I think, of keeping Amari Cooper quiet, certainly for the first half of the game, although he did go, get going a little bit in the second half. Yeah, yeah so he has up four just... catches for 50-something yards. 69 yards in the end, I think. It was, yeah, it? then, yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, It's always good. Um, so yeah, uh, the chemistry, again, between Macklin and Smith appears to be growing, which is is very good. So nice that Kansas City are, again, just developing into and working with their weapons. The one sort of downside to this game for me was the indiscipline, which was ludicrous. There were so many oh, yeah. um, personal fouls and unnecessary roughness flags, particularly on special teams, but also on both defenses. It t- both teams just made it more difficult for themselves than they needed to by doing that. And it was a little bit ugly to see just so many flags being thrown. And the game was fairly attritional, perhaps uh, didn't really help the flow of it that much. So that was a, that was a bit of a shame. But yeah, for Kansas City, it showed that they can win a tough game. The defense absolutely stepped up when it was needed to. Put a fantastic display. And for, you know, Oakland, yeah, it was a tough loss. It was a self-inflicted loss in a lot of ways Yeah, in what would otherwise have been a closer game than the scoreline indicates. Uh, the Crabtree touchdown catch was a fantastic oh, catch. beautiful to watch. Watch. And uh, that's the kind of, you know, the, the kind of throw that Carr can make when he isn't under that much pressure. And Crabtree, again, showing great uh, work competing for the ball. Yeah, ah, fair enough.
0: What about yourself, Roman?
1: Yeah,
2: well,
0: I
1: think, like, an attritional game is exactly what Kansas City wants. They don't want high-scoring games, you know, flashbacks to the Indianapolis Colts, (laughs) wildcards. We will get our revenge. So, like, this is, like, the team that they've built. It's a good, like, built around a solid running game, and now they have that explosive potential from Macklin, and now Alex Smith has even thrown a little bit of Steve Young-like running ability in there. (laughs) Got another, like, uh, rushing touchdown uh, this week. Like, I think, like, they're just building a good, solid team. And a good solid team which, with the right luck, would make a very hard push into the playoffs. Because no one wants to play a team like Kansas City. They will hurt you. They will make things tough for you. And they can shut you down. Oakland looked better when they were ahead. But once Oakland started having to chase the game when, when it was even a 2020, uh, that's when we started to see Kansas City play to their strengths. We saw Kansas City able to take over the game and suffocate the game. And that's even without Justin Houston, who obviously is a phenomenal player. No, it's good performance overall.
0: And like I said, not 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 the world's most phenomenal, uh, like offensive performances, but uh, very strong defenses. And uh, just I I I like hard nosed football, and these games are always tough between the division rivals. And Oakland, and Kansas City have had some of the toughest looking games over the years. This was this was no different. Uh, so it was good fun. So we're going to move now to the dark side of the games. Uh, there was, <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of these. Uh, this is why you should appreciate that with our hangovers, we still watched this earlier because it was. Fucking horrible. I'm going to kick off the dumpster fireside chats with Baltimore at Miami. 13 to
1: 15. Yeah. Fits. Do you like punts? (laughs) This is the game for you. We have a punch traumatic stress disorder or shaw disorder, depending (laughs) on your perspective. Yeah, we just saw two teams which are right now in that Hells game. Like for the Ravens, it's just, that it's a road off season. Like it's a, it's written off season, but that's primarily due to exogenous factors, due to injuries. Like when you're starting Matt Shaw and like Javoris Allen, even though he's actually been okay, uh, are your like starters saying, obviously, you know, the season is over. At least they have hope. While in Miami, uh, yet another season of indeterminate, in, indeterminate future, like they don't even have the, you know, solid eight eight from Joe Philbins anymore. They're likely to be, ha- they're likely to finish with a pretty dramatic losing record at this point. Like Miami won the game, but that's primarily because Matt Schaub let them win the game. Matt Schaub. Like, true uh, two interceptions. One for his now customary pick six of the week. That's where you put a bet in that for (laughs) negative. And busy. Like, the two interceptions. Yeah, they're they're playing the Giants.
2: Mm. These were,
1: like, standard interceptions. These were both... They hit the hands of a defender, looped up in the air, and then came into their hands as if, you know, as mana from heaven, which probably tells you a lot about the amount of velocity that Matt <laughs> Shaw, I'd rather, was not putting onto his throws. Like, yeah. this was a nutritional game in the worst kind of sense. Miami's punt strategy managed to beat Baltimore's interception strategy for what will go down as one of the worst games of the
0: season. Yeah, I must say, actually, just when you're saying the velocity of Matt Schaaf, there was a phenomenal moment at the end where uh, Matt Schaaf, at a moment, he stood in the pocket and he said, I'm going to show them whether you should pay me Aaron Rodgers money. He tried to throw a Hail Mary in the last play of the game, and it went about 32 yards. <laughs> like, it was brutal. Uh, <laughs> like, apart from me wanting to kill you for picking this game as one we are going to have to watch, Harry, uh, Please tell me why I shouldn't do that.
2: <laughs> I'd rather you didn't, because then you'll have to do the editing, and that that, that oh, takes yeah, a of yeah. time. I'm useful; it keeps me alive. Damn it! <laughs> this was this was this was spectacular. Uh, this was just the one redeeming feature of this game was it was at times quite funny. Miami did nothing; like did literally nothing in this game. Oh, they there was that one, one, that one pass, great catch, one pass, right, which was set up by a, a by yeah. a Baltimore turnover. <laughs> they won a the game in which they they just didn't do anything. Baltimore gave Miami all of the points. Every single score for Miami came off a Baltimore fuck-up. You had mm. the turnover that was then passing for the touchdown, and then you had the pick six. And then you had the two-point conversion, which came off one of the most bizarre series Oh, I forgot about this. So Dolphins missed an extra point, but Baltimore offside. So Baltimore, Miami took it again. The extra point was blocked, and actually was looked like it was going to be returned for two. But there was a, a, a hole or an offside. I can't remember which again. It was an offside again. An offside yeah. again. So then Miami just took a two-point conversion from, like, <laughs> an inch away from the goal for the crack. <laughs> exactly, because why not? Like, it was just shattering to watch th- these people getting paid money to do this. Yeah. It, was, it was just painful. Both running backs had okay games. But where you have a game where, and I say Miami did nothing, every single Miami possession in the second half ended up with either a turnover or a punt. Like, they could not have done less in this game yeah, if they had I was, was going to say, if I remember correctly, at the end of the game,
0: Baltimore had 20 or 21 first downs, and Miami had seven. Yeah. It, <laughs>
2: it says it all about how they were moving the football. Miami managed to commit offensive pass interference on a dump off. Like, it was... <laughs> It was truly, truly remarkable. And yeah, Matt Shove was just bad enough to give a Miami team that did nothing a win. Like, Matt Shove should not be in the league. It was brutal. I'm going to save us all a bit more time and say let's never, ever speak of this game again.
1: Burn the tapes. Burn the tapes.
0: <laughs> like
2: <laughs> We were really hungover. over We literally started drinking during this game. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Yeah, it was brutal. I like, woke up being like, I never want to touch a beer again. And we, five minutes into this game, it was like, right.
0: Um, We're going to look at the other dumpster fire as well, which was uh, Denver at San Diego, 17 to 3, Execution. Although Execution puts it... Makes it sound like it's more exciting than it was. Assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. (laughs) um, Death through atrophy. (laughs) Like, I just... It was... There wasn't a single point scored in the second half of this game. After after twenty eight minutes of football, the score was seventeen to three, and then three hours later, that was what it finished up. Like it was disgusting to watch. Denver did not look good. I'm now just kind of now just looking at being like, I don't know how good these guys can actually possibly be in the playoffs if they're going to play this way. San Diego looked horrendous. Poor Philip Rivers. Poor Philip Rivers. How will he support his 19 children if this is the kind of <laughs> shit that he puts up every week? San keep... Diego
2: might as well start fielding Philip Rivers' kids. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. It, oh, it was horrendous. But
0: yeah, so San Diego scored a, a, a field goal, um, Denver scored some points. Fits?
1: If San Diego was a person, it would look like Philip Rivers. who would be sadly singing San Diego Super. A single tear going down its cheek as it packed its bags for LA. (laughs) Yeah, basically, like, to be fair, San Diego, similar to Baltimore, have suffered a very catastrophic number of injuries this year. But unlike Baltimore, those players probably aren't good enough to go, okay, they would have actually saved their season. But they have turned what would probably have been another mediocre San Diego season into a complete wreck. And Denver just had to show up and not give them any hope, not give them any chance and let their defense do its thing. It was just another game where Philip Rivers vainly tried to get the ball to anyone. Denver just were like, maybe we should just cover Antonio Gates and we'll be okay. (laughs) And that pretty much worked. Like we just saw that these are two teams on two different planes of existence. And it's not that Denver were even that, they just needed to show up and do what was necessary.
0: Yeah, like this was horrendous. The, on, the only slight positive I got was that we got some really good like post-sack dances from some of the defensive players. Um, that's the only positive I can find. Harry,
2: help? I, I have another positive. Mike Skiffries made a really, really, really good punt. And then after Denver's drive stalled out, Colquitt made another really, really, really good <laughs> punt. And both teams started drives in their own five-yard line. And so that was nice. No, it was it was appalling. Yeah, Denver's defense just smothered the game. It didn't matter. Their offense was borderline dysfunctional uh, for large stretches of it. It, it just didn't matter because San Diego couldn't do anything. Yeah, so San Diego's run game is just in pieces at the moment. Like, Donald Brown was getting carries, and if that's not a sign that everything's gone, horrifically wrong. I don't know what is. Nothing happened for large parts of the game. I don't have anything else here. <laughs> that's, no, that, that's it. Alright, so we're going to move on to some of the listener questions now.
0: So we've got two questions we're going to cover off this week. Uh, We've got one that comes in from Richard, who wants to know, kind of an update on some of the young quarterbacks. So he says, Mariota or Jameis uh, so far, and who do we think has the best potential moving forward in the league? There's a general background, like both are playing quite well. Both have had impressive games. They have slightly different skill sets to each other, uh, play slightly different systems to each other. But I suppose we'll uh, we'll kick off with uh, with Harry on this one. Which one would you take right now? And then which one would you take probably over the
2: next five years? Uh, right now, I would take I'd take Marcus Mariota further along in a lot of ways than Um which is weird because Jameis is more of a I think pro style QB. If that makes in that sort of inverted commas pro style sense, but I think Mariota just does a lot of stuff better than Winston does at the moment. and I think can be relied on a bit more, um, uh, not to make you know stupid mistakes and not to, to mess things up. Uh, the problem for yeah, the problem for Winston is, is is there's a lack of consistency. Some weeks he's great, some weeks he's not. Whereas Mariota is pretty consistently playing okay, and then sometimes playing very well. So at this stage, yeah, I take that. Even though Mariota looks a little less comfortable in the pocket, but he does improvise well and he can uh, run of that spread play action stuff quite nicely. Going forward, it's it's interesting. I think Winston has a higher ceiling because I think he's more suited to the style of offense that produces top end results and produces top-end quarterbacks. The risk there is, is that I think his floor is also lower than Mariota's. Yeah. As in, uh, he's going to be the kind of guy who will either be have a good, sort of, again, Philip Rivers-style career out of him, or will sort of just flail and, 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 and sort of flounder after an explosive first season, just fail to develop in the way that they'd want him to, and we've seen that happen to an awful lot of quarterbacks. Yeah. Whereas a guy like Mariota, you can see, even if he just maintains the level he's at, he will be serviceable for... A team, and then if you give him weapons, as we saw this week, he can take advantage of those given the right situation. So, yeah, right now Mariota going forward, Winston, but there is an asterisk behind that. So, I think if I was looking for total potential, Winston, but if I was looking for going forward, even stability over the next five years, I'd probably favour Mariota. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about yourself, Fitz? I would probably take Winston, and um, for two reasons. Like, firstly, he plays.
1: Uh, from the pocket. Therefore, there would be more teams that could, like more coordinators and more coaches who will be better able to take advantage of those skills rather than having to build around him. There's also just the, and, and even though both have shown some uh, athletic ability, but like getting outside the pocket and also doing some unplanned scrambling, even though the planned scrambling in Mariota's case, like Jamius is probably built better to have that as a long term thing. Like looking at that uh, Tennessee game, one thing we did notice is that Mariota. Does have a tendency to get outside the pocket and take try to find that extra yard. We may have seen some kind of analogy to this uh, in the recent past. Uh, there's like this safety on the Washington team. <laughs> oh, the
0: guy, the guy on the on the uh, on the scout team. Yeah, yeah.
1: he was really he's a lot of ads like a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's because he takes the subway to work now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I there was lots of them. I think there was, like, three at least of them. But yeah. anyway, like, a <laughs> like,
0: couple of brothers or something.
1: But yeah, like, that's something, like, in terms of decision-making, Jameis makes more f- poor football decisions, but Mario is making decisions which are putting his career in jeopardy right now. So that's why I would, even in the short term, have some reservations. And the problem is that if he wants to, like, not need to rely on that, he needs to become a better pocket passer. And it's much harder to teach that technique. It takes much longer to develop those skills than it does to kind of keep working through like decision-making. Because the best way to improve your decision-making is just to keep playing. Like I would I would agree on some of what you're saying,
0: but I think, especially in the game that we discussed earlier, we're seeing that development in Mariota being able to sit in the pocket and make the passes throw downfield and make those types of decisions. I don't see him doing a bit of the scrambling stuff as being necessarily the worst thing in the world given the propensity in the league now, and it seems to be more and more so to use play action, to use getting people outside, to use bootlegs, because it's all about now kind of confusing the confusing the defensive players. I think that he fits that quite well. and I think you're underplaying, even from the start of this season to now the development we've seen in him as a passer rather than just as a improviser. I do think, as Harry said, that there's a lot of potential in Jameis. My concern is obviously that I don't know how much of the limitations to put on him or how much of the limitations to put on the team that surrounds him at the moment. So I find him a lot harder to evaluate. What I see in Mariota is someone who can be at worst probably an Alex Smith type character who can make a fair few of the throws move around a little bit, not do too much to damage your team. But I also see the potential for him to be something, oh, geez, I'm not going to say Matt Ryan because he's awful at the moment. But like, you know, like I said, Philip Rivers or, or something like that, that they can be that. James, I don't know, because I think he's going to fluctuate now as as the Tampa Bay team try and figure out what they're doing because they're going to be rearranging. He's going to have to probably go through some kind of changes at coaching, at style, at playbook. And I think that, especially when he is at that stage where he now has potential but it needs development, that can hinder that massively. And we've seen that happen a lot of times beforehand. You can plug and play Mariota a lot easier than you can plug and play Jameis. And that's why I'd take him right now. And over the five-year period, I think there's probably more of a stable base in Tennessee as they move forward for him
1: to develop than there is for James in Tampa Bay. We'll see in five years.
2: <laughs> 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 to like, of this in season
1: five. Yeah. Someone on Twitter five years yeah. now. Uh, he, Harry and Connor said that uh, was going to be a star and now he's like the starting
2: quarterback For of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> when you say someone, that'll be you on Twitter.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god! Um, the next question we got came in from Daniel. Uh, so Daniel said to us, eight or nine extra points were missed over the weekend, and we saw the first miss that was turned for two points by the defenders. In fact, we saw two of those, but one of them got called back because the Ravens are fucking awful. So, how do you think the kicking changes are working out? Can you can you see them sticking? Uh, and then, if we don't, what will we do with them instead? I don't care. A huge amount, but I think I much prefer it now that there's a bit of risk involved in the in the points after happening. I like the fact that you can get a two-point return on them. And I think, like we we discussed it at the very start of the season, I think it takes a while for people to adjust to these changes. Coaches who have coached for 25 years aren't going to just go, well, my kick is now 20, 25 yards further back. I'm not going to do it. It's going to take a season for that to bet in them to see the results, which we're now seeing a lot more of now and then react. The only team that really kind of went straight in with two feet were the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's because they had a crap kicker but yeah i'm i quite like them i think they're useful i think they probably need to even further incentivize the going for two on it because i think that would make it a lot more entertaining uh, although i did have a another kicking suggestion that i mentioned to the guys uh but yeah so basically that on kickoffs now because so many of them because it's been moved forward go out the back of the end zone and whatnot and the people get to start in the 20 what we should have is if you kick it and you get it through the uprights on the kickoff they then have to start from their own 10. Fitz, what about you? Uh, how do you follow, find
1: them so far? Like, I would generally see it as a positive thing. Like, the main objections I think people would have is firstly, most people don't probably watch American football for the kicking, and therefore having more and more games come down to kicking ability is not necessarily a good thing. Which if the two bo- if the two point revolution happens, maybe that will basically those two things will cancel each other out. But like, effectively, you're seeing something which is interesting it's different it's created a you know a change where we now have as many missed extra points in one week as we had for the entire like rest of the season like i'm sure advertisers are, are le- less happy because now they can't just skip the one point conversion <laughs> and go well this is an opportunity for extra ads obviously and i think like, the other thing is just like player welfare of course it's another play uh, where players have to go on the pitch and put their you know, careers at risk potentially there's kind of a sense that these plays are less useful in that sense like I think overall it's been positive. It creates more excitement and it creates more tactical decisions for kind of more nerdy people who think like that. Like having it move from being a, you know, a sure thing versus something which is very risky has created a, to my mind, probably a lot more tactical analysis of what is the right thing to do. Now, if everything becomes two point conversion, which some people say might happen, I wouldn't be happy with that. I and mean, I should revise the rules based on that. Right now, it looks like a good compromise. And I, I, I would give it time to see how it develops over a few years rather than saying, let's try and make it do something else right now. I have an interesting
0: idea. I just came up with this now while, while Ron was talking. I was definitely listening to everything you said. <laughs> um, what about we create a banding system, right? So you can kick your one point extra point from 35 or 40 yards, or you can try for a two pointer from 50, or you can try for a three pointer from 60. Okay, uh, that's why you're on the competition committee. Uh, no, I'm there because I'm, I'm not on it because I refuse to let people get concussed twice in a row.
1: You're kind of assuming that long, <laughs> long, kicks are the thing that the NFL is missing most. It's like, oh man, if only those longer kicks, I could really get into this sport. Otherwise, oh man, it's just not good. Enough.
0: Could you imagine the hilarity coming down to the end of a game where it's like we're down by two. Let's see if he can kick a
2: seventy-five-yard extra point. I'm not sure about that. No. Um, I don't see many teams taking that option. I think you guys pretty pretty much nailed it. Like it has just made it a bit more visually interesting, I suppose. If nothing else, it's made Jason Myers cry a lot. Uh, <laughs> a remarkably poor record of extra points uh, there for the Jags, but yeah, it hasn't been earth shattering. It's been it's been fine. I think it's yeah, it's made something that wasn't that interesting was a little bit more interesting. Uh, the one thing I disagree with you on, Connor, aside from your alternative <laughs> story <system>. proposition. <laughs> the, the one thing I would disagree there is when you say uh, that they need to incentivize two points more, I wouldn't agree with that. I think this is the discussion they had about moving the two point forward to the one yard line. Yeah. I think that makes it a little bit too easy and then I think you're in a situation, that's what Rowan was talking about, where the two point becomes the default and it sort of defeats the, mm. defeats the point of the exercise. Um, so yeah I think this is yeah this is a reasonable compromise that we should definitely give a few years to settle and then the competition committee yeah. will revisit it it'll take a while to bet in
0: and once it has betted in then we can see how it might need adjusting like the distance might need adjusting on it or something like that so we're going to move on to our picks for next week so this week we've got five games that we disagree on and a couple of ones that we uh, all agree on. So I'm going to do the general run-through. Uh, just give me a line or two on uh, why these games are going to go that way. So we've got
2: Minnesota at Arizona. Harry, why have we all taken Arizona? Minnesota are very much on the downswing at the moment. Uh, they're suffering a lot of injuries on defense. Their offense is coming unstuck. We've got Seattle at Baltimore. We've all taken Seattle.
1: Uh, why? I believe as Ronald Fitzpatrick said seven days ago. Matt Shaw
0: We've got um, San Francisco at Cleveland Uh, We've all taken San Francisco in this game Uh, Well we did discuss them earlier on the show Like Cleveland are just the embodiment Of sadness as a football team Uh, So no it will not go well This will also be a terrible game Please do not watch it Uh, Atlanta at Carolina we've all taken Carolina in this
2: game Why is that Harry? I'm glad you guys have finally uh, come around to my way of thinking that You should never pick Atlanta No Carolina looked very good Atlanta are just in a complete mess at the moment Interesting enough, we got
0: consensus on this one. I thought there might have been a little bit more, uh, more scrapping over this one. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. We've all taken Cincinnati. Why is that? Basically,
1: Pittsburgh's defense right now doesn't look that good. Like, basically, Pittsburgh is just a little bit down. A pretty big difference in defensive uh, quality will probably show through in what might be a pretty high-scoring game.
0: Yeah, like this one looks like it'll be a good one. So look, look to that being in the good section next week because there's not a whole lot of good out here. Uh, Detroit at St. Louis. We've all taken Detroit. Basically, St. Louis are a clusterfuck. Uh, Detroit are not great, but they're a bit more together now. And again, St. Louis is a clusterfuck. San Diego at Kansas
2: City. Why is that, Harry? Well, just to clarify, they are all taking Kansas City. Not much really needed to be clarified. but I will anyway. Uh, look, San Diego are just in pieces at the moment. They have no players left. Kansas City are making a really strong playoff run, and they've got everything to play for here.
0: Oakland at Denver. We've all taken Denver in this game.
2: Basically, defense. Like, Oakland's offense
1: is pretty good. The Denver defense, which is just smothering teams right now, probably won't be the greatest game ever. But, like, I wouldn't be completely shocked if Oakland put up, like, worth the win this. But I think Denver, you have to shade Denver right now. Just, they seem to be good at winning. Uh, Dallas at Green
0: Bay. We've all taken Green Bay in this game. Green Bay aren't great, but... Dallas are worse. New England at Houston. Uh, we've all taken New England. Why is that, Harry?
2: I'm a little less confident in this than I would have been uh, at any other point in yeah. the season. I am, I am actually surprised that we have complete consensus on this as well. I thought there would be more chats on this one. Yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's, it's more to the function... Well, for last week, I don't know, but I think it's a function of Houston look okay. And I think we're still probably good enough to beat Houston. Uh, there's a lot of ways this game could go wrong for us and I would not be comfortable betting on this game, but I, I think we're, we're talented enough to see off a pretty... OK, but not outstanding Houston team. Yeah, of course. Uh,
0: and then finally, <laughs> possibly the worst game of the week. Uh, I don't actually know. That that definitely goes to San Francisco and Cleveland. But the second worst game of the week, uh, New York Giants at Miami. We've all taken the Giants in this game. Why does that fit? Well, I barely because Odell
1: Beckham Jr. exists and we'll probably get at least a touchdown, which should be sufficient. To take <laughs> uh, yeah, Miami just don't look very good right now. It'll probably I don't think it will be uh, like a complete blowout. Oh, yeah. This is Mo- Monday night game. Like Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to be so well-rested for work on Tuesday.
0: Because <laughs> there's no way and fuck I'm watching it. Right, so we've got five games that we disagree on. Uh, so the first one is Buffalo at Philadelphia. I've taken Philadelphia. Fitz has taken Buffalo. And Harry
2: has taken Buffalo. So I'll kick off with you, Harry. Why Buffalo? Because Rex Ryan will avenge the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, look, Buffalo are fine. They've looked competent again. Uh, Tyrod Taylor settling back in. Sammy Watkins is starting to get rolling a bit. The defense is still not as good as it should be, but is okay. Philly, look, I'm not taking that much from from what happened this week. Look, not to make it Philly got quite lucky in that game. There's a series of bizarre decisions made by the Patriots and also some just pick six, a kickoff, a punt return, and a blocked punt won them the game. I didn't actually see that much from Philly that indicated that they are, have turned a corner in any meaningful sense. Now, that, that could well. The win could motivate them for this one. Buffalo are solid enough to take advantage of poor Philly defense, and also defensively, despite their problems, are probably going to be able to limit Philly to less points than they're able to put up. To be honest, I was very close on this one. Uh, It's just, I think the wheels are coming
0: off a bit in Buffalo at the moment. I don't think they're actually that great. I think Rex Ryan goes in with a decent game plan, but never really adjusts inside a game. In terms of Philadelphia, they're looking a little bit better offensively now. They've Finally, Chip Kelly has decided to stop just constantly using using his, uh, his, his his Dallas running backs and has decided to move to running backs that actually fit his scheme. Darren Sproles getting a lot more touches. Uh, they might have Matthews coming back as well. They've got a good stable of running backs if those guys are there and if they stop focusing on the wrong running backs. Uh, they've got some wide receivers, presumably. <laughs> uh, i yet to see them. Like The thing is, I can see this as being a relatively low-scoring Boring, horrible game to watch, uh, but one that Philadelphia, after a win against New England, might be fired up. See that they're very close to actually being competitors for their division. Uh, whereas Buffalo are basically done now. There's there's very few ways that Buffalo actually make the postseason.
1: Like in my opinion, like I don't I don't believe that's true. I think like the AFC, like the last wild card spot, very heavily uh, disputed. What I would say is that Buffalo have more talents some of us from Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) And like, even though I would agree that their game plan doesn't necessarily always match up with how, as good as it could be, they are always trying to use that talent, try to use Shady, try to use Carlos Williams, try and now, also getting Watkins in there. I think that basically, on offense, their talent should be sufficient to take on a Philly defense, which just isn't, uh, very good. It's, quite, it's okay up front, but in the back end, it's just a mess. Yeah, I expect like Sammy Watkins have a pretty fun game here. Oh, he could And yeah. I think, like, Sam Bradford is, like, battered to the sea for so long now.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I understand that entirely. Actually, it's just, it's just hilarious you look at it now. He's, you know, like, Bradford turned down that three year contract extension with them because he thought he could play himself to better money. And then look at how this season has gone for him. The next game we disagree on are uh, the Washington Pale Faces taking on the Chicago Bears. I've taken the Chicago Bears, and Harry and Fitz are
1: back in the racists. So uh, I suppose we'll start with Fitz on this one. Firstly, like, Washington has a lot more play for It's a tough game to pick because both these teams have actually been, have seen marked improvement over the last month or so in terms of their performances. Washington is a team which seems to be growing in capacity, and Kirk Cousins seems to be you know actually able to do something on offense, which is very good to see. I think getting Deshaun Jackson has been good for him to have that like blow the lid off uh, a couple of defenses that didn't, t- didn't respect his ability to throw it downfield. So I think like in what will be a close game, the, what, I always, what I've been saying all season is relatively underrated Washington Redskins defense should have enough to hold what is an improving Chicago offense, but which still has that tendency to flatter to deceive. Adam Gase has done wonders for Jay Cutler, but he is still Jay Cutler.
0: No, of course. Like I think Chicago are very much on the rise at the moment. I think Washington, I think Flattering to the is essentially the entirety of what the Palefaces have been doing this season. From game to game, you're not sure whether Cousins is going to be good or terrible. Uh, he's had a few good ones. He's had a few absolute stinkers. I don't think they have the talent level that people seem to believe they have on their defense. Uh, like their corners are terrible. They don't get a huge amount of pass rush on the go. What you've got in Chicago is a lot of very big, tall bodied receivers. You've got a nice running back combo uh with uh with Forte and the young fella now kind of Lankford. mixing and matching Langford, yeah. I think you've got a Washington team that people view as being more talented than they are. But yeah, like I said, I think it'll be close. I just I just
2: think that Chicago are gonna edge it. Chicago just lost to the Blaine Gabbard led San Francisco 49ers. Now that's not just the oh you know they lost to Blaine Gabbard. This is a genuine thing. Chicago's defence is not very good at the moment. In fact, it is actively really, really bad. I would be more in Roland's camp than yours as regards the Washington defense. I agree their pass rush isn't great, but their backfield is actually quite underrated. And I think guys like Chris Culliver, and particularly Bashad Breeland, have actually been having really good seasons. And Bashad Breeland um, last week did a really good job of covering uh, Odell Beckham Jr. for a large parts of that game, pretty much until it, got into, until it got into garbage time. So the problem with Chicago is that they can't defend very well. Washington are the kind of team that really have been able to take advantage of poor defenses. Yes, I think Chicago can do that short stuff very well. And when they get into it, when Chicago fall behind, they struggle. And if you get a couple of big splash plays from the likes of Deshaun Jackson, if Washington are able to get any semblance of a run game going, which, you know... Depends week to week. Highly variable. But the problem is, I think once Chicago fall behind, I think that's when they start struggling and that's when they start and relying on Cutler to hunt the ball downfield, which is where the problems occur, because that's where the game plan that's been working for him with Gase breaks down. That's what we've actually seen Chicago struggle with over the last few weeks. When things start going wrong, the team isn't really able to dig itself out of the hole. So I think that, yeah, they absolutely could win this game, but I just, for me right now, Washington just have more potential to just get ahead. Uh, the next game we're look at is Indianapolis at Jacksonville. Uh, I've taken
0: Jacksonville, Fitz has taken Indianapolis, and Harry has taken Jacksonville. <laughs> Finally, one I'm not on my own for. Um, <laughs> so, I suppose we we'll kick off with Harry on this one. Uh, why Jacksonville?
2: We know what Jacksonville are about. We know they can play very well on offense. We know their defense struggles. Indianapolis, we often don't really know what's going on. We don't actually know at this stage who the quarterback is going to be. We could well be seeing Charlie Whitehurst come on the or Jesus coming back, coming from so, his from his cabin in the woods. Right. Absolutely, <laughs> Dave.
0: Did you see that? What he, he, he was when he was when he was training beforehand? All the all the team were staying in a, in a team hotel and heading to facilities and so <laughs> and Charlie Whitehurst is, he went up and he booked himself a cabin in the woods and stayed there and just travelled in like an hour's commute every day into training instead
2: Like you see we laugh at this and rightly so when JJ Watt does it the media just get down and slurp his balls with a finger up his butt <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlie but, Whitehurst don't give a fuck right, Charlie <laughs> Whitehurst don't give a fuck and that's part of the problem you generally need to give a fuck to, uh, to win a football game see the entire career of Jay Cutler <laughs> But no, there's a lot of like things that we don't know what's going on in Indianapolis. The run game has fallen people. Like Frank Gore has run out of steam. The connection with the wide receivers is going. There's just too many question marks at quarterback to know whether or not Indianapolis is going to be able to move the ball well. Uh, their defense is sometimes has played well, but we saw it against the Steelers, who obviously Jacksonville are no Steelers, but Jacksonville have a lot of very quick, shifty receivers and a guy who can hunt the ball pretty far downfield. That was a problem for Indianapolis. Indianapolis got a touchdown against the Steelers this week, and that just made them angry. And they put up 39 unanswered points. So, yeah, I think there's just too many question marks in Indianapolis at the moment. I think this is probably going to be the kind of game that's going to be a bit towards a shootout, because neither team can defend particularly well. Obviously, there's a large amount of question marks as we're recording uh, about
1: who will be starting, you know, a quarterback for Indianapolis, which is a pretty big... Sign Tebow. (laughs) (laughs) Like, basically, how I see it is like, that, withstanding that variance like Jacksonville to me have really just been bad the last couple of weeks like even in the game against Tennessee like they were behind for most of that and like don't forget that they like two weeks ago they lost to San Diego a team who we have discussed in depth how they're absolutely trashed so like the Indianapolis defense hasn't been amazing but it might need to be amazing depending on the Jacksonville that shows up the thing is I basically this comes down to uh, a kind of pick where I don't have any faith in Jacksonville right now even though the Colts have all these question marks around them, the Colts have more players who've done it before. More players who've actually won games. I'd say Jacksonville
0: are so hot right now. Scored thirty nine points. Offense looked great. Like I said, defense no worries. Look, Gack which will, given that it'll be either a 40-year-old or like a 45-year-old immortal Jesus (laughs) playing quarterback for them, they will probably get a bit more success and that will soften the blow of having someone who's less experienced on the offense playing there. But I think Jacksonville are a more solid offense. They're delivering consistently. Even in games they lose, they tend to play quite well. It's their defense that lets them down. We're seeing them rounding into better form than we've seen them in in the last week or two as well. But no, like it's it's just a spot of they're going to be quite good offensively. I don't trust the Colts, and there's so many question marks everywhere on that roster. It'll be, I think, it'll be a relatively high scoring game. But I think Jacksonville was shaded. Next game we're going to look at is New Orleans at Tampa Bay. So I've taken New Orleans, Fitz has taken Tampa Bay, and Harry has picked New Orleans. Ah, Harry, we're picking two together. Good stuff. we we'll kick off with Harry on this one. New Orleans, Harry, why are we taking New Orleans?
2: This is a weird one, because there's so many reasons that Tampa Bay should win this game. But you know when you're just looking at a, thing, looking at a game, and you're looking at the matchup, and you're seeing what's there on paper, and you're seeing the recent performances, there's something that just says to me, that Tampa Bay have just been so up and down that this is going to be one where they are going to get dragged into a shootout, into a dogfight with a team with, yes, absolutely no defense whatsoever, but a team with, that still has Drew Brees, that still has, as we saw this week, can and so it's seen a few times this season, can do great things on offense. The reason I'm picking New Orleans is because i just where I think this game is going to go. And in that kind of game, New Orleans are in a better position to to win that because New Orleans, we've seen them get involved in shootouts, we've seen them win shootouts, and we have seen them lose shootouts where so they put up a lot of points. Whereas Tampa Bay, we've seen them struggle to keep up with teams when pushes come to shove in that kind of scenario. As we mentioned uh, previously, like Jameis Winston's
1: biggest issue is probably he makes some questionable decisions. But I would argue that it's never a questionable decision to throw on Brandon Browner right now. (laughs) (laughs) So therefore, (laughs) Jameis Winston should have enough to, like, this will be another shootout because New Orleans only does shootout. And they've, they won the Giants game but they lost Mm. the Carolina shootout. So basically, we're looking at a situation where this should be lots of points. But yeah, like I basically think like Tampa Bay are a team on the rise and a team which has that confidence. I think like, Harry's right, maybe the pressure will get to them, but they are a team with confidence that can get it done. Their defense isn't awful, while New Orleans is really
0: bad. Yeah, look, I understand what you're saying. I think New Orleans can put up a lot of points. Uh, I think they will put up a lot of points on this Tampa Bay defense as well. Like Harry said, they are much better equipped to win in one of those high-scoring games. The the big one is, because you were saying, like, this is a young team on the rise and they got confidence. That gonna start. This is one of the problems I have with them, is that they were coming out and they're kind of going, oh, like you know, we won by whatever it was five points over the Steelers or something. We're going to go seven and zero. We're going to go to the playoffs with that kind of level of youth and inexperience and confidence. Also comes fragility. They're now facing into that because they're not doing so well. That whole seven and zero, let's go and get to the playoffs, is not happening. So I think that they're more likely to to lose heart, lose courage, and lose the ability to close out a game. One, they're less experienced of playing these types of games. But two, because they were trying to build themselves up that way and that dream is essentially gone, they won't have the kind of confidence and, and team spirit that you were talking about. But yeah, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening. And I just see Tampa Bay's offense will not be able to outscore New Orleans's offense. Uh, so the last game we're going to have a look at. Oh, I'm on my own for this one as well. Great. <laughs> uh, Tennessee at the New York Jets. Uh, I'm taking Tennessee. Fitz taking New York Jets and Harry's taking New York Jets. Harry, why New York Jets?
2: I don't particularly trust Tennessee to be the most consistent team week on week. What we saw this week in particular from the Jets is for all of the problems they've had, particularly regarding injury, they are a tough team right now. They are a well-coached team, and they're a team that's shown it's been able to make adjustments this season. Tennessee are not a team that will surprise you. You know what you're getting with them, and yes, they have a lot of explosiveness, and yes, they have a lot of um, young, talented, exciting players. But they're not perhaps the most varied team in how they approach things, and I think the Jets are going to be able to basically game plan this one out. I think they are going to be able to shut down the run game fairly handily, which is go- a non-existent game. run game. <laughs> run game. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, Jacksonville decided that they were going to let Antonio Andrews plod through a series of arms, <laughs> so, um, but the Jets can sometimes tackle players. Yeah. Like they did struggle to cover Odell Beckham, but in the end, like last week, but in the end, they were able to do enough. So even with those injuries on the back half, when you're facing an arguably less talented receiving core Mm. than the Giants have, I think they can do it against a Tennessee team that perhaps doesn't have that much to offer in terms of what it can surprise you with and what it can do. They will know that they are going to have to play the Bills again this season, which could turn out to be a game with playoff implications. For them, this is a game with an awful lot riding on it, and it's a winnable game with an awful lot riding on it versus Tennessee this is a game that would be nice to win but they're not going to have that same level of essential this is game you know this is an essential when yeah. we can't afford to slip up here because this puts us in at a, at a severe handicap i think the coaching is going to be good enough to see the jets through this one like I, I get it entirely,
0: this was a very close one for me to call as well I like the Tennessee offense more not like the Jets offense at the moment Brandon Marshall played a good game last week so he's probably going to play a terrible game this week uh, like he didn't try and lateral it randomly in the middle <laughs> of or any anything like that my one main concern is that like so I don't think the Jets defense is as good as it was in theory or it was at the start of the year but what I am concerned is that I do think they've got a good core of players there some good coaching behind it and I think they'll be able to throw interesting looks at a young quarterback that might Cause him problems, and that's where I think they have the ability to to, to take it away from. Him. But like, they've got great safety blanket for him in Delaney Walker, they've got an on the rise young uh, Doyle Green Beckham who is a big bodied, able to go up. He will make mistakes, of course, he'll make mistakes, but like. They're, they're rounding in nicely. Yeah, the, the, the run game is a problem, but the Jets are quite good against the run game, so that was probably not going to be a selling point for them in the first place. I, I could see this being a game the Jets wouldn't entirely get the ethos behind. It's just, I've, I've just got this feeling, uh, similar to New Orleans thing, that uh, the Tennessee are just going to come in there and just be like, oh, you're not going to think someone wins something by pure chance. It's so, like, oh, I won, did I? And then the guy has been trying to win it for, for years just like, oh, just wandering in here. Like, whenever you go into, like, an old person's bingo hall and someone wins the jackpot and they all give you daggers. <laughs> um, but, though, uh, like, basically just this, this idea of, like, they're going to come out and the win and be like, this is amazing. Uh, I'm really surprised that happened. And then the chess will just be sat there going, how did we let this happen?
1: And lo did Ryan Fitzpatrick give up the false folly of his admittedly wondrous beard. <laughs> and in doing so, gained humility to defeat and lay low the giants. And in doing so he faced his next challenge, the equally sized Titans. And he cooked forth and defeated their false prophet, Mariota, by using the power of Chris Ivory and of better defense, <laughs> or what is known in the arcane arts as tackling. <laughs> and lo was it that the Jets crashed into the Titans <coughs> and laid them low too and laid the ground what may be quite an interesting wild card hunt in the woods. Kick <laughs> of
2: the week. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs>
0: See, this is what happens. We have to sit through an entirety of a Baltimore Miami game, and Fitz actually goes wild. Like, goes fucking mental. Like he's Jesus wandering crazy. around in a bed
2: sheet like hearing <laughs> lepers. It's him oh. and Charlie Whitehurst are going to start a thing, you know.
0: But yeah, it's, it's, that was that was a crack for that. Um, yeah, it's not a, it's not the world's greatest slate of games, is it? That's no. <laughs> there's, a, there's there's I can probably spot the two or three that'll be worth watching in there. And like, it's a stretch to say two or three, but there should be some fun ones. Like, there's going to be some bad teams versus bad teams that are compelling
2: because they're all awful. Yeah, San Francisco, Cleveland has got that real sort of oh, mm, ooh, car crash, ooh, bits of metal flying every, ooh, yeah. Mm. No, no, it's gonna be awful. Gonna I, be awful. Want to no, I want the first overall pick. No,
0: I want the first overall pick. No, triple fight, <laughs> <laughs> I won
1: seven interceptions in this game. <laughs> Alleged triple fight. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, if anyone wants an inside line and a bet, bet on there being 16 separate
2: safeties in that game. <laughs> Would you, uh, Any other crackers yourselves? Yeah, not much. By the way, I've got one thing to say uh, for a uh, touchdown of the week. and know it's not really a thing we do, but it's one of Tyrod Taylor, because we didn't get to mention this. Oh, week. yeah, wow, that, that was that amazing. Really the rushing touchdown Tyrod Taylor scored this week. The combination of, firstly, his athleticism to get out there, but his awareness. To adjust the midair, make the stretch, and then also knock over the pylon with the ball, which leaves absolutely no question about where he was when he crossed the line. Yeah, <laughs> that was a fantastically smart play, and that's what Taylor, who is he's got his limitations, but he isn't just a you know a, a fast-moving athletic guy. Like he can play smart, and I think that indicated that you know the Bills might actually really be onto something here with him.
0: Yeah, no, no, get time, more time to develop. Yeah,
2: like I don't know.
0: I, I was I was amazed you beat out Mad Castle
2: and EJ Manuel, <laughs> and EJ EJ Manuel. triple Jesus threat Christ. quarterback. Oh God. oh, God. the world's worst Hydra. <laughs> oh, uh, well, Jeff Jeff Tool, the part of this too soon, too soon.
1: <laughs> how did you How did you enjoy your first live podcasting session? Uh, I hope my voice uh, came across well. <laughs> Uh, this is my real voice, not <laughs> my phone voice. <laughs> the main difference is I don't go, hello. <laughs> uh, apparently, every time, to- no matter if you ring me and I answer, I will go, hello, even though your name is on the screen. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Just in case. It be anybody, really. Christmas is coming up, of course, and that means holiday season games, so we're all looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. And the NFL will, you know, hold us over. While we, you know, engage in compulsory family gatherings. Oh, that's it! Like, I'm just, just so happy to see these games on the 26th.
2: <laughs> oh, but but no, that's the one. The one good thing, good thing about being Jewish, so I have to spend that time uh, hanging out with my terrible family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really. I love you, guys. You're listening. I love you, guys. <laughs> Edited. Aren't you, aren't, aren't
0: you meant to spend like? eight days with them for Hanukkah
2: yeah, I'm not that Jewish
0: <laughs> I'm Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's
2: Hanukkah right now it's, uh, yeah. it's the first night of Hanukkah we
0: had, we had celebratory shots before we went out last night to celebrate the first day of Hanukkah oh god I was drunk but
2: like I was so I forgot
0: that <laughs> uh, no, uh, that gig was
2: a nice 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 present to myself oh yeah. no, it was great it was great but yes. Yeah.
0: So I that'll do it for this week, guys. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Like I said, uh, hit us up on Twitter at, uh, at AFQ Podcast. Find us on uh, Facebook at Facebook slash AFQ Podcast. And if you've got any questions or comments or anything like that, just drop us a line uh, about them. So that's great. Say goodbye, Harry. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Fitz. Bye. All right, we'll chat to you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.